0: Well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad that you're doing this on the program today. The uh, confirmation hearings of Judge Amy Coney Barrett underway in earnest on Capitol Hill. The Senate Judiciary Committee uh, grilling Judge Barrett about her views on uh, any number of topics, including abortion, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and yes, indeed, the Second Amendment. As a matter of fact, I'm somewhat surprised at how much focus the uh, Second Amendment has received today, given that there really wasn't a lot of talk from Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee on uh, Monday during their opening statements about this case Cantor versus Barr. But uh, Senator Feinstein's brought it up. Senator uh, Dick Durbin's brought it up. Uh, as I am uh, 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 taping today's show, uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal has not yet begun questioning Amy Coney Bear, but he'll be bringing up. Uh, the Second Amendment, and the uh, case Cantor versus Barr uh, as well. Uh, we're going to get to uh, some of the commentary, some of the uh, the questioning uh, from these senators. We'll start with uh, Diane Feinstein, who uh, brought up the fact that March was the second highest month ever for gun sales in this country. And she saw that as a horrible thing. Yeah, the fact that more Americans are exercising their constitutional right to keep and bear arms, constitutionally protected right to keep and bear arms, she, she views that as something that should be curtailed, as something that should be stopped. This is why we need gun control laws, because, gosh, look, people are trying to exercise their right to keep arms. They're going out and they're buying guns. Now, Diane Feinstein also tried to tie in the increase in violent crime that we've seen in many cities across the country to the increase in legal gun sales, even though there's no evidence that the two are connected. You look at some of the cities that have actually seen some of the biggest rises in violent crime – And there are places that, uh, frankly, make it very, very difficult to be a legal gun owner. New York City, for example. Shootings and homicides nearly doubled over the course of the summer what they were in 2019. And yet, if you want to be a legal gun owner in New York City, and you applied for your pistol premises license so you could keep a gun in your home, let's say you applied or you tried to apply back in May. You didn't get your license. In fact, you're going to be waiting over a year for you to be approved to keep a handgun in your home in New York City. In Philadelphia, you're waiting over a year now to be able to apply for your concealed carry license. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, you're waiting until 2021, March of 2021, to simply apply for a concealed carry license. North Carolina, I heard from somebody yesterday, said that their appointment has been made for June of 2021 to apply for their concealed carry license. In North Carolina, you also have a pistol purchase permit that you have to apply for before you can legally buy a handgun. And in many counties, we're looking at month-long waits there. Illinois, Chicago, again, homicide's way up in Illinois, and in Chicago specifically. But the FOID card process, every gun owner in Illinois is supposed to have a firearms owner identification card. And guess what? They've got a backlog of tens of thousands of applicants right now. So no, it is not legal gun owners who are driving violent crime. Do you want to know what's driving the violent crime rate and the increase in violent crime in these cities? Because it's real easy. And Diane Feinstein, I, I don't know if she doesn't know this or she just doesn't care and wants to try to use the increase in legal gun owners uh, to try to blame them for the actions of criminals. But look, look at what happened to the court systems all across this country, going back to March. We had moves in major cities, small towns to get Inmates out of jail, right? Well, we can't have them in prison. We can't have them in, in jails because they're closely confined. And we've got the spread of the coronavirus. And last thing we want is to have an epidemic break out uh, in one of these uh, facilities. So we saw jails depopulate all around the country. We also saw police chiefs in big cities say that they weren't even going to bother to make arrests for some crimes. In Philadelphia, drug crimes, no more arrests. Burglaries, nah, not really going to be that, uh, a priority for uh, for law enforcement. So when the court system basically closes, when jails are depopulated, and when you add into that uh, the hundreds of officers in major cities that have had to be you know, on guard protecting businesses and trying to stop and quell riots as opposed to going out and doing the policing in high-crime neighborhoods that can help reduce shootings and homicides, that explains the rise in violent crime. Not the Diane Feinstein that cared at all about that. Uh, the Brady campaign, I'm sorry, I guess they're just called Brady now, uh, tweeted out as well about Senator Feinstein's line of questioning. When Senator Feinstein questioned Amy Coney Barrett about the Heller case, where two-way protects the right of people convicted of serious felonies to possess guns, she said she would rely on interpretations of the Second Amendment from the 1700s. That, in itself, they write, is a risk to public safety. Hashtag Block Now, again, the folks at Brady are smart enough to know that that's not what the Heller case was about. The Heller case had nothing to do with felon zoning firearms. The Heller case, which was decided by the Supreme Court in 2008, addressed two questions. Whether Washington, D.C.'s ban on handgun ownership violated the constitutional rights of residents, and whether or not the storage requirement that all handguns That were actually all firearms that were owned in Washington, D.C., had to be kept, locked up, disassembled, ammunition stored separately, whether that violated the Second Amendment rights of residents. And the Supreme Court said in both cases, yes. Yes. Because it deprives people of their ability to own or to keep commonly owned firearms. Uh, And it deprived them of their ability to use those firearms in self defense in their home, which the court said is the core purpose of the Second Amendment. Not the only purpose, but the core purpose of the Second Amendment. As for uh, Brady's claim that uh, Amy Coney Barrett said that she would rely on interpretations of the Second Amendment from the 1700s, that's not what Amy Coney Barrett said. What Amy Coney Barrett has talked about is the history and tradition of the United States, both in terms of the laws that were enshrined in our Constitution, Uh, as well as the laws that have been put on the books in the uh, decades and actually centuries since. And you don't have to try to rely on some competing interpretation of the Second Amendment. The the plain meaning of the Second Amendment is crystal clear. In fact, not only is it clear within the text, again, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay, so that first part, the part that everybody on the other side likes to point to, it's only about service in a militia. That's called a prefatory clause. Because a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, that is one reason why the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But the right is not based solely on the idea that you have the right uh, to join a militia or that militias are necessary to the security of a free state. That is one of the reasons given. We understand why the Second Amendment was put in place. If you actually go and you do a little more extemporaneous reading, instead of focusing just on the Second Amendment, start with a preamble to the Bill of Rights, because it makes it very, very clear why we have not only the First Amendment, but the Second Amendment, the Third, all the way through the Tenth Amendment. The conventions of a number of the states, having at the time of their adopting the Constitution, expressed a desire, in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added, and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. What does that mean? Well, it means that Americans were skeptical of the powers granted to the federal government under the new Constitution, as opposed to the Articles of Confederation. They were worried that this would be an open-ended power grab on the part of the federal government. And so, in order to alleviate those concerns, and frankly, in order to assure ratification of the Constitution itself, a Bill of Rights was agreed on. Now, again, we didn't know, or they didn't know at the time, what was going to be contained in that Bill of Rights. But generally speaking, they knew what they wanted to do to prevent misconstruction or abuse of the powers of the Constitution They further declared and added restrictive clauses, not restricting the right of the people, but restricting the powers of the federal government. That's what the Bill of Rights was all about, including restricting the right of the federal government to infringe on the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Now, again, that's not an interpretation of the Second Amendment. That's what actually happened. If you want more evidence that the Constitution did not create some sort of right to keep and bear arms, but rather protected a pre-existing right, go read Federalist 46, which was uh, one of James Madison's op-eds in favor of ratifying the Constitution. He wrote this again, before the Constitution was ratified, before the Bill of Rights was ever a thing. And in Federalist 46, he talks about the advantages that Americans possess because they have the right to bear arms. As opposed to citizens of European nations who were not trusted with that right. Again, this is Madison writing before the Bill of Rights, before the Second Amendment was ever a thing. Madison is talking about the right of the people to keep and bear arms that already existed in the United States. And because those rights were so important to so many Americans, that's why the Bill of Rights contains that language that it does. A word of warning to the federal government, hands off. This is a no-go zone. Infringing on that right is not permissible under the Constitution. Whether you're talking about 1791, 1968, or 2020. Now, there's a lot of confusion among some gun control supporters about this including, uh, this, I, I, this is just an indicative tweet. I don't, I don't mean to go after Alan Rosenblatt, PhD, specifically. This is just the first tweet that I saw that uh, kind of makes this point. Uh, if Amy Coney Barrett is an originalist, he asks, who interprets the Constitution based on the exact words and meaning at the time of its writing, wouldn't the Second Amendment only guarantee the right to bear muskets? Since there were no automatic or semi-automatic guns, then they could not be covered. Uh, Alan? the answer to your question sir is no if that were the case then nothing no communication other than what came from a a printing press right or a quill pen would be protected under the first amendment no radio no tv no electronic communications whatsoever certainly not no no internet because those didn't exist and no originalist or or textualist Uh, actually believes that that's the case. We're talking about, again, go back to what the Second Amendment says, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. It doesn't say the right of the people to keep and bear muskets. It doesn't say the right of the people to keep and bear dueling pistols. It says the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Right? Arms meant something in 1791. Arms means something in 2020 today. Arms means those, basically those small arms that uh, you can carry that are in common use for a variety of lawful purposes. And that would include, in 2020, semi-automatic handguns, semi-automatic rifles, semi-automatic shotguns. Basically, again, the, the universe of firearms that you can find at your local gun store, those are the arms that are in common use for a variety of lawful purposes. And those are the arms that are protected by the Second Amendment. Now, Dick Durbin also tried to grill Amy Coney Barrett about uh, her dissenting opinion in this case, Cantor versus Barr. This was a uh, two-one decision from the Seventh Circuit. Amy Coney Barrett was the dissenting judge, uh, and it involved a case named Ricky, a guy named Ricky Cantor, who was convicted uh, in federal court of Medicaid fraud. Basically, he was selling shoe inserts that he claimed were Medicaid compliant, and they were not. And he ended up getting several hundred thousand dollars uh, from customers who thought that, you know, they could uh, that it'd be reimbursed by Medicaid, and they weren't. Spent a year and a day, were sentenced to a year and a day in federal prison, uh, which also resulted in the lifetime loss of his right to keep and bear arms. So Cantor sued, arguing that uh, that, that was an inappropriate punishment and a violation of his Second Amendment rights. And what Judge Amy Coney Barrett said was that, Based on the history and the tradition of not only the Second Amendment but the gun laws in the United States, and what we know about uh, what the founders had to say at the uh, time, that they didn't intend for every felony-level offense to come with a lifetime prohibition on the loss of your Second Amendment rights. Instead, they were concerned about whether or not somebody was dangerous. And so, Amy Coney Barrett said that's what the standard should be. It should not be just that if you're convicted of a felony if you're Martha Stewart convicted of insider trading or you're uh, Ricky Kanner convicted of selling fraudulent foot inserts or uh, shoe inserts, that, that should not automatically preclude you from ever exercising your right to keep and bear arms ever again. Dick Durbin tried to turn this into a test between your right to vote and your right to keep and bear arms. Um, asking Barrett, about the differentiation, and basically accusing Barrett of saying that felons should be able to regain their right to keep in their arms, but that they should not be able to regain their right to vote. And Amy Coney Barrett shut down Dick Durbin pretty easily, pointing out that the case that she was involved in, Cantor versus Barr, had nothing to do about the restoration of rights to vote. And as a matter of fact, as uh, Judge Barrett said, Quote, the Constitution contemplates that states have the freedom to deprive felons of the right to vote, but I express no view on whether that was a good idea. Durbin and a lot of the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee, who are, again, trying to draw this comparison between the loss of your Second Amendment rights and the the loss of your right to vote, are are basically accusing Amy Coney Barrett of of saying, uh, I'm going to give you a cooking analogy because I've spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my wife, Missy, the past uh, few weeks. Well, you were you 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 said that this recipe for donuts uh, is is good, but you didn't say anything at all about uh, making eclairs. So what? You don't think that uh, people uh, like eclairs? You don't think people enjoy pastries? It's an apples or a donut, uh, eclair comparison, I guess, because the Cantor case again didn't have anything to do with felons voting. So why would Judge Barrett have opined about the legality of the restoration of rights to felons in terms of voting as opposed to uh, the validity of uh, restoring their right to keep and bear arms? Again, it was, it was meant as a gotcha on the part of Dick Durbin. Uh, I think Judge Barrett handled herself very well. But you get the idea, again, why gun control advocates are so freaked out about the prospect of Amy Coney Barrett being on the bench. By the way, uh, Judge Barrett did say today that she is a gun owner, uh, but that, uh, you know, she would look at the cases before her uh, and would not let her own personal viewpoints guide her, that she would look at the law, because that is what a judge is required to do. And, you know, look, unfortunately for gun control advocates, if you look at the law, Some of their gun control laws are going to be struck down as unconstitutional because what they are trying to do runs afoul of the protections provided by the Constitution. We have a right to keep and bear arms. Gun control advocates, their idea of gun safety, I say this all the time, their idea of gun safety is don't own a gun. Their their, their entire movement is predicated on the idea of keeping as many Americans as possible from owning a gun. Well, when you're trying to stop people from exercising their rights, you are going to run afoul of the Constitution, right? I mean, there, there are some ways that you might be able to go about it that aren't going to run afoul of the Constitution, political, you know, public pressure campaigns, trying to make gun ownership taboo, things of that nature. All right. I mean, that's fine. But when you say all of a sudden, hey, listen, you in California. It's going to be a crime if you own a 15 round magazine, even though it's one of the most commonly owned magazines in the country. We're going to say that it's a criminal offense for you to do it. That violates the Constitution. Or to give you another example, this is a case that I think may be coming up or an issue that may be coming up before the Supreme Court before long the right to carry outside of the home. The Second Amendment very clearly protects not only the right to keep, but the right to bear arms. Well, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has said that uh, you don't have a constitutionally protected right to carry concealed. Okay. And they upheld California's May issue concealed carry laws that allow for county sheriffs to determine the suitability of somebody. So even if they, you know, pass the background check, they've gone through the required training, sheriff can just say, nah, I don't think you really need a gun to carry for self-defense. I mean, I don't even think the self-defense is a valid reason for you to carry a gun anyway, so no. You don't get your concealed carry license. Ninth Circuit has said that's fine, because you don't have a right to carry a concealed firearm. All right? Well, if the Second Amendment says you've got the right to keep and you've got the right to bear, and the Ninth Circuit says you don't have a right to bear a concealed firearm, that must mean that you've got the right to openly carry one. Right? Well, that's the question before the Ninth Circuit right now. Uh, in a case called Young versus Hawaii, which challenges the state of Hawaii's prohibition on open carry without a license, a license, by the way, that not a single civilian has ever received. And so the Ninth Circuit now is going to have to try to square this circle. And uh, this case just went to oral arguments a few weeks ago, should get a decision, knock on wood, in a a couple of months. And what's the Ninth Circuit going to do? Is it going to come out and say, all right, so, um, yeah, okay, so you don't have a right to carry concealed but you do have the right to bear, so you've got a right to at least openly carry. You've got a, you've got a right to carry somehow. A state can uh, you forbid the concealed carry of firearms, but they've got to allow the open carry, or a state could forbid the open carry, but they've got to allow concealed. But there has to be some way for you to be able to exercise your right to bear arms. That, to me, would, would be my, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. But it could be that the Ninth Circuit will try to engage in some sort of tortured logic and say, well, even though it says that you've got the right to keep and you've got the right to bear, You don't really have the right to bear or you technically have the right to bear, but that right can be curtailed by the state in the name of public safety, even if they can't really demonstrate a link between denying people the ability to legally carry a firearm and violent crime. That's what I'm afraid the Ninth Circuit is going to say. Judge Barrett, if she were on the bench of the Supreme Court, I don't know how she would rule on one of these cases but based on her judicial philosophy of examining the the history and traditions of these laws in the United States I think what she would likely say is look you don't have a tradition in this country of states barring completely the carrying of firearms you can go back to the 1800s and you can find examples of uh, state legislatures and even state constitutions that talk about uh, the state legislature uh, being able to regulate the carrying of concealed weapons, and you can find that language in state constitutions, but you don't find language in the state constitutions or even these uh, uh, state, um, uh, you know, statutes that say the bearing of firearms is forbidden. Right. I'm going to try to give you an example here of one of those statutes. Um, that talks about specifically uh, the, uh, here we go, Georgia, 1868. It will regulate militia being necessary to the security of a free people. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, but the General Assembly shall have the power to prescribe by law the manner in which arms may be borne. So in other words, the legislature reserves the right to say, look, here's how you can carry. But the legislature can't say, you can't carry, right? Uh, Missouri, 1875, that the right of no citizen to keep and bear arms in defense of his home, person, and property or in aid of the civil power when thereto legally summoned shall be called into question, but nothing herein contained is intended to justify the practice of wearing concealed weapons. Colorado, 1876, uh, basically the, the exact same language. Uh, nothing herein contained shall be construed to justify the practice of carrying concealed weapons. But again, it's not about banning the right to carry entirely. Even Texas, 1876, every citizen shall have the right to keep and bear arms in the lawful defense of himself or the state, but the legislature shall have power by law to regulate the wearing of arms with a view to prevent crime. Um, And again, there's all kinds of language like that, but what you won't ever find in a state constitution is a language that says the right of the people to keep arms Shall not be infringed, but the people have no right to bear them so again, I don't know how justice Barrett how a justice Barrett uh, would ultimately rule on the issue of the right to carry, but based on the history and the tradition of the Second Amendment in this country and how the laws have been put in place over the decades, it's pretty clear to me that the right to bear arms is seen as just as fundamental as the right to keep arms. And that while state legislatures again may indeed have the power uh, to regulate how arms are born, they do not have the authority to ban the bearing of arms in its entirety. Uh, And again, I think it's likely that a Justice Barrett would come to that same conclusion, which is again one of the reasons why gun control groups are freaking out so much, not because Amy Coney Barrett is an extremist, but because their own extreme positions likely cannot stand a constitutional challenge if the history and the tradition of our gun laws and our Second Amendment rights are fully examined when ruling on the constitutionality of their gun control measures. All right, so we're going to have more on the uh, Barrett hearings coming up on tomorrow's Barrett Arms Cam and Company. Right now, though, let's get to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. Uh, We will start there from uh, New Mexico. Carlsbad man gets probation for aggravated battery with a firearm. Yeah, in the, uh, you know, gun sense friendly state now of uh, New Mexico, because you've got uh, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham passing all kinds of, uh, you know, universal background check laws, passed a red flag law, all in the name of keeping people safe when when what's actually happening when violent criminals get convicted of violent crimes. Slaps on the wrist, sent on their way. So this comes from the uh, current Argus newspaper in Carlsbad, New Mexico. 41-year-old Rodney Chavez, convicted of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon in 2018, finally got sentenced. To probation, He was given probation for also uh, for shooting at or from a motor vehicle, as well as negligent use of a deadly weapon on October the 7th. Got eight years probation, six years parole. He pleaded no contest on two counts of aggravated battery with a deadly weapon. Judge found him guilty and suspended two three-year sentences on both counts. So he could have gone to prison for three years. Judge suspended those sentences. Uh, The judge gave him a total of six days credit for time served actually reduced the probation term from six years to four years. This stems back to a uh, case in September of 2018 when Carlsbad police filed a criminal complaint against Chavez, accusing him of shooting at two people as they left a party. Both victims sought treatment at Carlsbad Medical Center. After being struck by bullets during investigation, detectives found two used shell casings near the crime scene. Chavez pleaded no contest to shooting at or from a vehicle. Gray found him guilty. The judge in this case found him guilty, suspended a nine-year prison sentence. Sentence to two years parole, three years probation. It's amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. This guy shot two people and ultimately pleaded no contest to these charges, although the charges of shooting at somebody and actually hitting them, those were, those were dropped. Instead, it was just, well, he was shooting from over. But even despite that, This guy was eligible for years behind bars for his crime, a violent crime. And a judge said, I think six days is enough. Go on, get out of here. Now, listen, if you get in trouble again, maybe you'll have to go back and serve the entirety of your sentence. Maybe. Probably not. But it's a a possibility So keep your nose out of trouble. How well do you think that's going to work? I mean, I hope it does. I hope it does. But I am not confident of that fact. Our uh, armed citizen story of the day from uh, Covington, Kentucky, where an arrest has been made in a uh, tender date robbery. Yeah. Yeah, be careful about this stuff. And I say this as somebody who actually met his wife online. That was in the early days of the Internet. Things are a little crazy now. Plus, we lived thousands of miles away, so we talked a lot before we actually met in person. Now, his wife right? Yeah, you, you know, you meet somebody, and you never know when it's going to turn into a robbery. So this is from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Uh, police have charged 19-year-old Philip Snyder of coming to Kentucky with robbery, according to a press release from the Covington Police Department. Snyder admitted striking the intended victim in the face. Also, a 19-year-old Sierra Wayman in the uh, Kenton County Detention Center on a robbery charge uh, as of uh, just a couple of days ago. Officers who were dispatched to Sierra Wayman's home shortly before 9 p.m. last Monday, found two shooting victims. One of them uh, was Snyder. The other man's still in the hospital. Charges have not been filed against him at the time. Police identified the shooter as a guy named Peyton Browning of Covington. They contacted him. Browning told police that he had just shot two people. He said, yeah, I'll show up at the headquarters for an interview. Uh, Went and met with officers, said, I I met this uh, woman, Sierra Wayman, through this Tinder dating app. Uh, She invited him over. And uh, he said, shortly after he got there, two other individuals knocked at the door. Police say that uh, Wayman let them in. They then proceeded to assault Peyton Browning. Browning produced a handgun, fired at both individuals as he left the residence, and then contacted 911 to advise him of what happened. Police say that uh, Wayman told detectives that she had invited two people into her residence in an attempt to extort money from Browning. Yeah. And then they started to beat him up. Browning defended himself, fled the area, contacted police. He's not facing any charges. Again, right now, this looks like a a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense on Peyton Browning's part. Uh, But his alleged assailants, two of the three anyway, already facing charges. We'll keep our eyes out for any charges against that third suspect. And finally today, our good deed of the day. You ready for this one? I like this one. From the uh, Daily Ridge newspaper, talking about a uh, police officer down in Florida, uh, going really above and beyond to, uh, to help out those in need. Lieutenant uh, Jim Ostejik uh, is uh, on his own time and on his own dime uh, taking part in the Mr. Central Florida fundraiser event, and he is raising tens of thousands of dollars for the Central Florida Speech and Hearing Center. In fact, uh, over the course of uh, the last couple of months, Uh, This officer has raised $30,000 for this organization, and he has another month to reach his goal of $50,000. Central Florida Speech and Hearing Center uh, is a uh, speech, language, and hearing disorder treatment facility uh, that is uh, focused on, uh, quote, providing the highest quality speech, language, and hearing services in a caring manner. Uh, Deborah Dodge, who is the owner of a company called Craft & Kitchen, uh, previously had her business near the hearing center, she has uh, changed location since then, but she had a friend whose son has hearing problems that were being treated at the center, and she wanted to help raise money for it. So she has been working with Lieutenant Jim Ostergic, uh to do this. She says Jim has been fantastic. He's very passionate, supporting this cause with the Speech and Hearing Center. He's been great to work with. He has spearheaded the entire endeavor. Uh, Lieutenant Ostrjik is a member of the Polk County Sheriff's Office for 26 years. Actually started out as an explorer uh, as a teenager. Uh introduced to law enforcement by a school resource officer, became a reserve deputy at 19, and has been in law enforcement ever since. He says, I always wanted to be a police officer. always thought it was a good thing, a good way to help the community, and I want to give back to the community because they do so much for us, and we do a lot for them as well. Uh, one of his daughter's best friends receives treatment from the center. He knows from personal experience. He said the good that the local facility does, and uh, so he takes his position and the volunteer work for it uh, very seriously. He has, uh, this is, this is really cool. He has volunteered over the past several weeks, 168 hours of his time. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Uh, and working with craft and kitchen, uh, th- so they, they, they're a restaurant there and they've been doing specials, uh, every night, all proceeds from their pulled pork dinners going towards, uh, Lieutenant Ostajic and his campaign. Uh, Sales from draft beers also included $2 for every draft sold. And, uh, again, they've been able to raise this incredible money. Uh, He said he actually met a stranger at a restaurant early on, told her that he was raising money, gave her his info, said he got a phone call from this stranger. She asked to meet him at another eatery, uh, and there he said she offered three checks. He said she gave me a check from the organizations that she's involved in, and he said it was inspiring because of how hard I was working. It's nice for somebody to go out and work hard to help us. So he is trying to win the Mr. Central Florida Contest. But in the meantime, he is also raising an awful lot of money for a very good cause. So uh, Polk County Sheriff's Office Lieutenant Jim Osterczyk, we thank you, sir, for your very, very good deeds. All right. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. Again, we'll have more on the Barrett confirmation hearings tomorrow on the program. But in the meantime, don't forget, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media that way you'll never miss a program. Also, you can subscribe to Barion Arms Cam and Company on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, townhall.com's podcast page. You can find us there, too. Wherever we you get your favorite podcasts, you will find us there. Hope you have a great rest of your 2A Tuesday, and we'll be back with you tomorrow with more of the latest Second Amendment information from all across the nation. Until then, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Barion Arms Cam and Company.